0: That's a recognizable opening salvo by The Alarm, called Strength. You probably all recognize it. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. This is the Goldmine Podcast. Proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Alarm has a new album out. It's called War, or as it's pointed out, Raw, spelled backwards. Led by vocalist Mike Peters, the alarm is maybe more raw or in your face than they were in the 80s. Maybe, maybe, as, maybe they're back to when they first started. They're, they've got that raw punk leaning as they did in the late 70s, but sounding a little bit more contemporary, I guess. Either way, it's good stuff, and Peters is really venting about this last year, like well, everyone is feeling it. Um, really just, he's venting about the six about the last six years maybe. Um, but in the end in his lyrics and his writing, his songwriting, there's always a sense of hope in the lyrics. Just like there was in the eighties with hits like strength that you heard in the opening and rain in the summertime. Always Rescue Me, always great songs in the eighties that the alarm had. But we're gonna talk about that, uh, those 80s hits, and we're gonna talk about War, um, the new album by The Alarm with Mike Peters right after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the Music Collectors Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. So congratulations on the new album, man. I like it a lot.
1: Thanks, Pat. Thank you.
0: And and, uh, I think this is one of the best in a long time, man. Wow. Um, Tell me about well. First of all, war spelled backwards obviously is raw, and I know in nineteen ninety one that was uh, the name of your album. Is there is that a reference or is there any connection at all to that?
1: Yeah, just just a just a slight one. It was. I mean, I was looking at in all through the last decade, I've remade each of the original nineteen eighties alarm albums as if they were modern songs and treated them as such. Uh, just to give them a fresh coat of paint and liberate them from the time stamp of the 80s if you like Um, and I I wasn't quite sure how to do that with the Raw album because I felt when we made that record we'd missed an opportunity to sort of redefine the band Mm. uh, with with, in the face of the future that was around us the the musical landscape that we arrived in you know in 1991 Nirvana was coming out of the blocks Pearl Jam everything was changing and we'd actually just the year before that we at the end of the night then our last gig of the 80s was we're playing on stage with neil young and doing playing rocking in the free world mm-hmm. and um we'd we'd met neil um well how it, that actually happened was that we we were playing a gig and Elliot Roberts who was neil young's manager at the time uh, and had always been his manager came to see us playing to represent us. And he said, while he was at the gig, he said, hey, I've got a tape of Neil's new album, which is called Freedom. Do you want to hear it? We go, yeah. He goes, look, he's back on form. This is going to be a major album for Neil. And we, so we were excited to hear it. We played it. Oh, "Rocking in the Free World" was on it twice, acoustic and electric. By the time we'd finished the tape, we'd learnt the song and transcribed the lyrics And we gave the cassette back to Elliot and said, oh, that's what an album. Neil is certainly way right back on it with uh, with that album, you know. So Elliot stuck around for the gig and we walked out for the encore and we played Rockin' in the Free World, note for note. And after Elliot came in the dressing room after the show and he said, man, Neil Young is going to kill me when he finds out what's happened here. (laughs) And so... The opposite happened Neil Neil was really intrigued, and he came to see us playing at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And then when we got to the East Coast to New York, he came on stage with us at the Ritz in New York, the, the new Ritz, as was it, which was in the, the Studio 54 um entertainment space. And it was we played Rockin in the Free World. And we were the first band to play Rockin in the Free World in the world before even Neil had played it himself, you know, properly. So it was um, and I think at the time. Neil was was we was we went to his ranch and we, we sort of talked about maybe making what would be the next alarm album with him and I think he was looking for a band to sort of hitch a ride with for a while and eventually you think I think he probably thought the alarm aren't quite ready for it yet and he switched to and he did Mirable with with Pearl Jam instead, really. Mm. And 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 so when when we came to make what Became the last album of The Alarms original lineup era. The intention was to go to make an album that was a little bit like 10 versions of Rockin' in the Free World song songs that addressed what was going on. You know, we were new music landscape was upon us, the Gulf War was happening, you know. We'd and I and I just felt we we missed that opportunity to really say something that could have took us into a new era. Um, we ended up making a compromised record where I was allowed to only sing certain amount of songs i was only right the songwriting was equally spread out amongst the band rather than let's just have the best songs and sing them and do them and so we ended up with this it was okay it was a good record but it wasn't what it could have been if you know what i mean so i always felt we missed an opportunity there and then and we broke up at the end of that tour so i think we did miss something there and so when i was thinking that i always thought oh yeah i could remake that album but but totally write a whole new album and 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 then i and then i thought oh maybe that opportunity's gone now and then when i was watching tv in the background and i was on a phone call with um a lawyer friend of mine from washington who's on our board of charity love hope strength he's a board member and we were talking about some things with the charity when all of a sudden the headlines changed. It was alarming news. And you saw the Capitol building being stormed. And and Elliot was, our friend, my friend was represented a lot of heavyweight politicians on both sides of the house, right across the Senate. And he was starting to fear for some of his friends in the building and it became very real. And I I saw the word alarming on on the head. It was alarming this and alarming that, or certainly on the news I was watching in the UK. And, And so I thought, this is, I've got to, this is it, we've got to make the record now. We can't wait till the pandemic's over. We've got to do it now. This is the trigger point. And so I literally went on our website and before I could tell it, I didn't want to tell anyone what I was going to do because I thought everyone will say you're crazy and talk me out of it. So I went on the Alarm website, but hello everybody, we're going to make a record. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And when I woke up in the morning, my wife just got, what did you put on the alarm.com <laughs> last night? You know you mad you know I, so i said hey look well we're, we're going for it this is how we're going to do it and, uh, and i was phoning the band and Jules started filming me phoning everybody so she kept started capturing everything and we said let's make the record out in the open whether we sink or swim here we'll do it in real time in the open air um i i had the beginnings of one song that was called 280 ways to start a war yes. and it was a, a reference to the amount of characters, you could put in a tweet, which a certain person who's no longer president of the USA used to his full advantage and created some horrific battles on on Twitter and massive divisions amongst people. And so much so that in our household, I when he came on the TV, I had to switch him off. I thought I, I don't want that person talking to my children through his the way he uses language and distorts people's views and, and distorts the truth. And I just thought I, I've got to switch that guy off. And we just played music in our house to only listen to the main news once a day and uh so yes and then that when i started writing the song i thought i need a bigger cause it can't just be 280 ways and so i came mutated into protect and survive and takes you out of just that but into the pandemic and how we've all had to cope with all these intrusions into our lives 180 ways to start a war
0: It's weird because, you know, raw is how I feel after God a year of this crap. Um, my nerves just feel raw, and I felt like I was at war. <laughs> talk, uh, about this, talk about the talk about the song, "Protect and Survive." I felt like I was in this survival mode, um, <laughs> defensively at war uh, for the last year. And, um, I gotta say, I so much appreciate boring politicians now. If I yeah, Every too. politician as boring. I don't care if they're on left or right or Republican yeah. or Democrat. I'm sick of these
1: blowhards. Um, you know, right. I'm, I, I, of, I'm the same. I'm the same. I, was, to me. It was like, let's get the personality.
0: Up. I hate, you know, I'm tired yeah. of it.
1: Tired of it. I, I absolutely 100% with you on that you know it was just like where's the tolerance where's the understanding where's the the, the yeah. where, where are the people trying to bring people together here we're facing an absolute global crisis and it became n- nothing to do with that whatsoever didn't it you know and, and I, I've got every respect for the presidency and the person who sits there but yeah, that the man who was in the, the last incumbent of the seat totally abused this the the power.
0: Well, all politicians yeah, are so let it sober. all go to
1: <laughs>
0: They're not rock stars. Yeah, They're they are. It's supposed, to be, <laughs> it's supposed to be working for us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. right.
0: <laughs> but I love the song um Protect and Survive. I love that lyric, 280 ways to start a war and to also looks, says to kill is us is all.
1: And effect and
0: is all. <laughs> obviously it's a reference to Twitter and the politicians and people of power who abuse the platform the scary thing is is that social media is presenting this problem where there's a fine line uh, between free speech and using it as a propaganda tool and one, when one person stands above the rest with power and monopolizes, you know this tool it becomes very scary um Absolutely. so you have these people Saying it's free speech, but <laughs> no.
1: it's not. It's, it's not that. so you know, They a lot. I always say people have. You know, we all call them keyboard warriors, don't they? And and they hide behind the. the what, they wouldn't say a lot of what they say on the internet to your face. Right. When you're face to face, there's some sense of decorum comes into the room. But when it's when you're alone on your keyboard and 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 you're you know, I my my dad always taught me to say. If you haven't got anything good to say, say nothing at all. Right. But people wade into every argument, don't they? Now like, leave
0: it alone. It's
1: a set. It's I, a you
0: know, my parents never discussed uh their politics or their religion. <laughs> I, I liked that. I missed that man. If he brought it up, they might have discussed it in a very polite manner, but they didn't get into these wrestling matches. Um no. So I miss that. And I miss the fact that Americans, you know, they're not, now they become tribal. And I love the song tribes stop the war. And I like the song because I think it speaks volumes to, I mean, what are we really fighting over this culture? Or what are we fighting over that can't be resolved? I know. It's, exactly. so, it's insane. We're fighting over insane crap. And, you know, um, it all started with these radio talk show hosts that just stirred things up for money, for yep. a
1: career. Absolutely, yeah. It's and, you know. It's like they've all all the 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 the, the news pool now. The, the the amount of news, it's like a this. It's a shark fest, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, they're looking for stuff all the time. They, there's no good news. They just they don't want to know about that. Yeah, they just, the news doesn't care. You know, and all all these talk show hosts that are hosting debates come on and they try to get them as inflamed as they possibly can before they even got off the ground. And it's it's just um, that, you know, I I always thought in Britain when the pandemic was going on, we should have shut down 24 hour news and and put on, you know, educational things for the kids who were all locked in the houses. I I
0: agree. Um, I think France does that before elections. Right. part yeah they have a little bit of uh buffer zone before the elections to stop the propaganda but but what i um you know i just feel like this could be solved and nothing is being done about it and i don't know how it is i I turn on the bbc and i feel like it's sober news i don't know how it is there
1: um look it's it's still there's look you can't if you put your head above the parapet, you get shot down. You know, by somebody. There's always somebody yeah. waiting for you to have a go, and yeah. um, it's it's difficult. I think for anyone, you know, especially with the pandemic, it was it's hard enough to deal with with a changing landscape and all the variants. And the, and people thought at first we'll get it under control fairly quickly. We'll be out of this by Christmas, and you know we're here another year later, and we're still not out of it properly.
0: Yeah, and I'm um, not going to even go into Brexit because I don't even understand it.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know that's another. That's a massive one. You know, for for artists, that's a massive one. You know, to contend with how how we're going to get to go over and play in Italy and France and Germany now, I'll never know.
0: <laughs> I'll play the ignorant American and just pass. it yeah. yeah. But, uh,
1: but another you know,
0: thing about tribes is it has that classic alarm harmonica.
1: You know, oh, yeah, I love that
0: when I <laughs> kicked in.
1: We can all see what is happening, we know what's going down. Capitol Hill is occupied, flags are upside down.
0: Would you say that this album is, I don't know if angrier is the right word, maybe more distraught, um, sounding an alarm?
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I just I just felt, I was looking around and, you know, I think and I might have said, but no one, I couldn't, I was writing songs but I thought, well, I don't want to write about the pandemic. Who's going to want to hear about that? But then it, it triggered it all off. And I thought, so let's, we've got to, this is like a Polaroid of the life we've all lived. You know, we've all sat in the same place. We've not been able to leave our homes. You know, I'm sure the backdrop for your Zoom is the same as mine. Is the same for, you know, it's not changed for a year. So yeah. we might as go, well, this is our life. and <laughs> We haven't moved <laughs> anywhere. And so I thought I wanted to, you know, write things that, you know, I mentioned, uh, do the quote from Biden in in Tribes and then uh, there's stuff, in crush from Boris Johnson and the British government messaging, you know, stay home, stay set, hands, face, space, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, well, if no one else is going to document it, who is? You know, so that's our job as the alarm to document, and we we've done it, you know, since we started. And and uh, and I, I think this this one is um, it is angry. I think because I do feel like we could have created a much more harmonious situation. And and felt like we were pulling together, you know, whereas some elements of how the messaging that's come out that that has like you were saying, it has pushed people against each other, certainly yeah. in America. It was it's become very tribal. I, I'm surprised it didn't happen here in Britain. You know, there there is a lot of opposition out there mm-hmm. to the pandemic. And a lot of people think it's um, you know, Ian Brown of the Stone Roses has pulled out of a massive festival today. Because he they were they said that maybe people would have to have a COVID passport to show they were healthy to come into the festival. And he's dead against the whole thing. So he's like, yeah. no show, no vax, you know, no, I'm I'm not he doesn't buy into it at all. And Van Morrison's the opposite as well, isn't he? He's like, this is all a scam demic and covid nineteen eighty-four, as they like to call it. And uh, it's crazy. You know, I
0: still have neighbors that refuse to believe. think it's just some flu Um, it's insane it's it's insane but i mean the alarm has always been you know relevant with these uh, everything that's you know going on in the world there's always been hope in your your songs in the Mm -hmm. end and i was reading goldmine did a 10 albums that changed my life with you yeah and even before i think you started the alarm you had the sense of social justice because the albums you grew up on, you mentioned the clash, and I see the clash in your on your wall. Yeah, Woody you know. Guthrie, yeah. Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and of course you love the Who, but all these bands were about social justice, you know, and getting involved and speaking out against power. So yeah. it makes total sense that this would become you and the alarm, you know, as a career, right?
1: Yeah, well that, that's the music I grew up listening to. Of course I love glam rock and I love Bowie and oh, T Rex yeah. and Slade and Sweet, you know, oh. who, who, who but you see when my the first record I I don't know if it says it in that gold mine article, but the first record I ever bought was Slade Alive. Well I went to buy a record called Slade Alive. You did mention that, yeah. <laughs> and you know about the cr- the names in the cr- in the in the brackets. Yeah. And and I always wanted to be the guys that, that wrote the songs and to me, I didn't want to be in a band that just jammed it out there. And uh, I wanted to say something, you know, about mm-hmm. my life and connect to people. And I felt very lucky to be in a band when we got to America. There was a lot of myths about America in Britain Where before we got there. I know, you know, I know, You know, we've grown up on the clash saying I'm so bored with the USA and all that stuff. You know,
0: I tell you, I, I, I the first time I invited a friend here from... The UK. This was in the '80s. I picked him up at the airport, and I noticed in the back seat he was scrunching down. I said, "What the?" Because we were driving through the Bronx Expressway. I said, "What the hell are you doing?" He goes, "I'm watching out for snipers." He said, and "The British press always talks about New York City."
1: <laughs> That's great. <isn't> it? <laughs> I was like,
0: "No, man, don't worry
1: about snipers." Yeah.
0: unless you're unless you're a target they're not going to
1: be shooting at you (laughs) i know exactly and look when we got there we just thought let's take people as we find them you know let's let's just see what america and we i loved it you know i met so many people that are still my best friends you know that i met in those early days on the tour and beyond and so i've always loved america and i always you know what it was a as a musician it was a dream to go to america wasn't it you know for me it was anyway you know reading ian hunter's book diary of a rock and roll star and hearing the tales of them touring america and buying guitars and bringing them home it's like wow it sounds incredible so i just wanted to
0: come you were on the radio a lot in america especially during the 80s and going back to your songs having hope in them i songs like rain in the summertime and it's such an uplifting song. Strength. Those songs remind me of, like, say, U2's "Beautiful Day." It can lift anybody's depressing, depression. Depression. Yeah. It's just those are the kind of songs you want to turn to to make you feel better.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's what. That's what music has always uplifted me. You know, if I, right. I felt a little bit um, agitated or or a little bit unsure, and then. A little bit dark you know you put on some music and it lifts you up i mean i am sort of lucky i live in a beautiful part of the world and um you know, I, I, I think i took the at the top of the interview about bringing elliot elliot roberts who managed neil young he was managing bob dylan at the same time he came to visit me in wales and i took him around the whole north wales took him to the snowdonia mountains and to see the Clwyd mm. river and everything like that and he goes mike this country needs a manager and it was you know it was like the world's best kept secret and I've got um, when we moved to London I hated it you know when I got there I thought it's going to be great let's move to London and we'll make it we, we sort of did make it but I hated the rehearsal room where we played you know we'd have some days you come in and be motorhead on one side the wall, and then you know steel pulse on the other, and you couldn't hear yourself think because of heavy metal and reggae colliding in your room. So to come home, I came home and all of a sudden <laughs> I'm afforded some silence and some space to think. Yes, and and I've always wanted to be. When I've always wanted our gigs, you know. I think in a way, one of the things that happened to me, but I went to see the Sex Pistols in 1976. And um, they played anarchy in the UK and I didn't know what anarchy was. Cause I hadn't been taught that in school. Mm. I didn't know what the word meant. So after the gig, I saw Johnny rotten at the bar and I went up to him and asked him what anarchy meant. And he's, he just said, Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Spat it out like that right in my face, you know? And I was thinking, wow. You know, And I thought, I want to be in a band like that. But if I am in a band like that and I meet someone who asks, I'll never treat him the way he's treated me.
0: He gave you his answer, that was anarchy.
1: It was <laughs> absolutely. And I, I was um, I thought it was fantastic. You know, I, I love it that he told me to fuck off. Oh man. I wouldn't even want to go, oh, yes, it's about this, and you know, and explain in a posh English accent. You know, it was brilliant the way he, he responded. And I thought, yeah, he's got, but he, he set me off on a path of self-discovery and I asked the question he was almost saying but well, go and find your own answer don't ask me and I thought that was what was brilliant and that's what I wanted to do for our audience. I wanted to uplift them in the show and yeah. they could sing some great songs and sing some words like love hope and strength and think wow what does how does that apply to my life where am I where's my love hope and strength going to come from and and if you ask the question you've got to go and find it haven't you
0: I I, I agree he's uh He's the kind of guy that can, um, if you're thin skinned, (laughs) he could put you back a few steps, but if you're not, you can have you searching. You know, I just found out, I didn't know this. You're a cancer survivor. After finding that out, I just found that out recently. Um, and listening to went back and listened to rain in the summertime and strength. And I found it even more poignant. Uh, those songs even more poignant. Um, I'm sure for you, singing and performing them, it's got to move you. Um, the other yeah.
1: The first first night, first day I ever heard the word cancer applied to my life. I was on my way to a gig, and it was 1995, and uh, I had a lump in my collarbone, and and I went, I was about to go to America, and um, I thought I was probably a bit tired and run down, so I the doctor said, go to the hospital and in the hospital where I lived, there was no cancer center. So I think he knew what was coming my way, but I didn't, I just went to the phlebotomy blood department and gave right. blood. And the nurse said, just hang on a couple of minutes. Cause the doctor will want to see it after this. So my brother was in the car outside waiting. I was sat there with Jules and he, they took me into this room and the doctor sat opposite me and he gave me a sheet of paper and it said, let's talk about cancer written on it. Right. And my mind sort of went blank. You know, I thought, what? Yeah. I was not expecting it for one second. And he he literally said to me, look, Mike, I can see you've gone into shock here. So come back tomorrow and we'll talk about the way through. We're going to walk through this situation together. So I left the building. My wife was in tears. We got in the car. I can't remember. All I remember is sort of coming around at home. My brother had driven me home. And... He was picking up the phone, and I said, "Who are you? Who are you phoning? You know, my mum or something." And he said, "Oh, mum, you know." He said, "No, no, I'm cancelling the gig," and I said, "No way,
0: mm.
1: I've got to go and do the gig." I said, "I can't sit here for 24 hours till I see the doctor worrying, and I'm going to go and play the gig and keep my mind occupied. Otherwise, I'll drive myself nuts." So, isn't that
0: what it, the song "Strength" is about? You know, finding well, strength, moving well, forward.
1: And what happened was when I went to the gig. You know, and I ran. I ran into the gig, and there was a couple of fans outside giving me a hard time about oh, you're not in your alarm anymore and all this crap. You know, and then, and I went on stage, and halfway through, or oh, 20 minutes into the gig, I can't remember now, but I played the song Strength, and it re it hit me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't, yeah. almost couldn't sing it, and yeah. it was just, it just spoke to me in a way as if I, it was. You know, I sometimes think, where do the songs come from? And they, they come out of your subconscious. Sometimes you don't even know you've written them and you, and yeah. they're, you're singing them. Um, they're, they're, you know, sometimes they're from, you know, what's going to happen almost as if you know what's going to happen to your life, but you can't quite, you're not your brain and the, the human way we live stops us from seeing our potential, you know, and here it was. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to make it through. Who will be the lifeblood coursing through my veins was, right. and, uh, And it was like when I got back, that's what I was facing. They were telling me I was going to have a bone marrow transplant and everything like this. And and um, I said that. I mean, they said you're young. We're going to go for cure. We've been to America. We've got all the best procedures. You've got a sixty percent chance of making it through life. And I went, "That's all great, guys, but I'm supposed to be on a plane in the morning going to America. I can't (laughs) possibly cancel the tour. It would be so negative, and it would bring out all kinds of horrible things." And uh, I had this a big stand-up battle with them. and I said, "Look, just give me a couple of months to see the tour dates. I'm not going to die in that time. And uh, if you are going to win this, I have to be in a positive state of mind." And I came out of that. And my friend who had managed the alarm, he was always my friend, Ian Wilson. He, I told him what he was one of the only people I told. I didn't, I didn't tear, dare tell my mum. I thought she, if she knew I was withdrawing from the treatment, she'd murder me. And my mum was scarier than cancer in those situations and then and ian uh told me about uh a faith healer he knew and he had me speak to her and they, from i spoke to her from the airport her name was bambi and she told me that green was a healing color for me and and then ian was ian was my manager ian was a, was a big john lennon fan and and he he said uh and he he he, I said green you know what does that mean you know and he, he said well maybe she means get a green sweater or something when you get over there and on the plane I was thinking about it and I thought ah oh, yeah John Lennon he 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 always wore the army jacket and I, that was green I thought I'm gonna go to war on cancer that's what I'm gonna do and I, I went to Connecticut funnily and uh it was um in Harvard I think it was I stopped at a, um a uh army surplus a fatigue store and i bought my camo jacket and and went to war and i said i'm not taking these clothes off till i'm healed and i'm still here you know i've still got cancer but i'm still here and i still wear the camo and uh you know it's got a charity called love hope strength and we've built cancer centers in africa and nepal and we're, we're going to um africa next year into the north africa to help um uh a cancer built helps fund cancer care in uh in, in north africa and and we're uh we're I'm hiking off Dyke 177 miles of the border of wales and england this summer to uh, raise more funds for the cancer center we built in africa for children in need over there so yeah, it's cancer has taken me on an incredible journey pat you know and, and i've seen some incredible things through it and uh, i sometimes say my life has been blessed by cancer because and i don't mean that facetiously I just mean that it's taken me into some places where I've seen some incredible miracles. I've seen some incredible heroes and heroines and people who've gone way, way above the call of duty to keep people alive. And, and people have had miracles happen to them. And, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And so I've been it's, it's certainly um, impacted on my life in a massive way.
0: Yeah, give me a lot
1: of insight into life itself, I think.
0: You're, you're a survivor and I'm sure a lot of fans have come up to you and said how...
1: Oh, hmm. Pat. Look, my wife Jules got diagnosed with breast cancer four years ago. You couldn't write the script, you know, it was like a double right. whammy and she mentors lots of women who are going through breast cancer. She she When she comes in tonight, she'll be on the phone for a few hours with 20 or 30 women helping them through their breast cancer journeys and uh, it's like a brother-sisterhood um we all i think we can almost recognize each other in the street even though we might bury the scars of our cancer battle under our clothing or under our wigs or our hats or however we Mm. live a life but we kind of almost like see each other on the street and know we're there for each other as well
0: well the alarm has always written music that has been um rousing uh you said battle um, kind of like anthems, warlike anthems, right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um, I can remember as a kid um, driving around in the car and I would hear Spirit of 76 and I would think, <laughs> I, I wondered, why are these guys from the UK singing about the American Revolution? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: And I, had, I, I said, I got to dig into these lyrics better. Yeah, um, exactly. And I found yeah. it was more like a Bruce Springsteen, um memory of youth song. Yeah, that's it, it. Yeah. These songs always had these anthems. Perfect for arenas, which I guess was perfect for you in the eighties. With I mean you went on the tour with you two during their war tour, right? Yeah, I was yeah. too young for that. I God, uh, I wish I was I, I saw that.
1: Wish I was uh, too young for that tour, but hey house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to deny i was in the alarm in 1983 now because it gives away my age <laughs> <laughs> and that was some other guy <laughs> how many 23
0: <23? laughs> yeah, i would have paid a lot for that ticket if i can go back in a time and hey, it was
1: a, it was a it was a fantastic tour you know you two were opening up a lot of doors for bands like us to come through REM, simple minds you know they yeah. were gracious you know when they when they got their foot in the door of mainstream radio they didn't just close it behind them they and keep it for themselves they kept the kept it open for us all to kind of rush through so we we, get to play
0: with the clash i know how much you love them Uh, i
1: did i i we had before the alarm we were called we had a punk band we were called the toilets
0: i know i know
1: yeah and we played with the clash in 1978 and it was uh it was in liverpool eric's in liverpool it was
0: i was gonna ask you do do you still have um did
1: the toilets put out a single or forty-five or anything? No, we never did really. We we had a we had a great singer from Ireland. who was amazing, but we lost him to life. And yeah. he, he was he was like Bono slash Joe Strummer. He, if we wow. if he stayed in the band, you never know where we could have gone. But it, it didn't work out, and um, he got. We went to London. He got sucked into the dark side of life, shall we say, and we never came yeah. back and then he died and uh it was a shame you know because he was a real ta- he was an incredible talent it really um on stage he, he just captured the room in his palm his hand it was incredible but we didn't have what we didn't have in the toilets we didn't have a malcolm mclaren or a bernie rhodes or a brian epstein we didn't have one of those managers to kind of channel the energy so it, it quickly burnt out but and we, so we never made a recording but um Huh. I've got one one tape of us playing live. It's, it's a bit rough. You've got to really listen to hear it. But we did a, a film in 2013 uh, called Vinyl. And it was it starred Phil Daniels, who was in Quadrophenia. He was the lead in. The, oh, really? Yeah. And uh, it, it was a film that was only released in Britain in cinemas. But it's a great film. And it's based on um, that we created a fake band for The Alarm in 2004 and we had a big hit with it with uh, as an uh, as a young band called the Poppy Fields, and uh, that became a, became a sort of big story. And then vinyl was the result of that. And um, and the the director, I, I we, it was produced by um, the, the guy who does the Shrek movies. Names escape my mind now. And um, and he was uh he he called me into his office in in L. A. I thought, wow, I'm going to meet the guy behind Shrek. You know, this is incredible. John John H. Williams, I think his name was. And uh, he sat me down and got, I've got this amazing director. She's just done Diary of a Teenage This with Lindsay Lohan in it or something at the time. And she's amazing. And I said, oh, who is it? And he goes, oh, you'll, you won't know her. She's big, big in Hollywood now. And she's her name's Sarah Sugarman. I went, She's not from Wales. He goes, yes, yeah, she is. I, go, I know her. I grew up with her. She, she even, <laughs> she, she used to go out with the bass player in the toilets. Our band, <laughs> and then when, when, when she realised the story she was being invited into direct was about me, and or based on something I'd done, not, not, not a true story, but based on something, she was like, "Mike, the soundtrack. I want, I've got to have all the songs you wrote for the toilets." So. The soundtrack album is is all our songs we had from 1977, That's 78.
0: Really cool. Well, listen, all the best on the new Thanks, album. Man. And I hope that you tour in the US after it's all, after yeah, all, sure. it pedals down,
1: it's know. going to be, I think it's going to be t- a tough ass still for people because I think, you know, the, the gigs might come back, but I don't think the infrastructure is going to be there for a while. You know, a lot of promoters will have used up their budgets to buy bands and take risks on bands. They'll have used it just to keep their venues open. So, you know, I think it'd be local, local gigs at first before it becomes back. Do you ever think
0: of doing like a virtual thing, Mike? We've
1: done, we've done a few, we we create our own (laughs) show called the big night in and we started broadcasting in March and we've done 26 episodes. We've done a Christmas gig. We, We just, if you go to, um, we've got this new platform now called the alarm central and yeah. it's a, it's a subscription and it's free and we okay. did it we did a live broadcast from rockfield studios we presented the raw the war album live mm-hmm. from rockfield in the show so yeah we've done loads and we've had over 500,000 viewers you know we we really stayed busy stayed contemporary stayed right on it through the pandemic and we start a new series on july the 1st where we're going to tell the story of the alarm we're holding all these staycation gigs in my village all the fans yeah. are coming to stay at the studio and be part of the the, the, the just the way out you know we're, this is the alarms roadmap out of the pandemic
0: well i hope that people listen to this go to that and check it out oh, it thanks,
1: yeah all right thanks, you. see all you best,
0: man. see you soon Thank you, Mike Peters. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. Don't forget to pick up Goldmine at Barnes & Noble and books a million and visit Goldmine at goldminemag.com. Thanks all for listening. See you next time.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.